Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and today I am excited, and I'm sure there's a lot of PTs out there that are excited, because today we're going to be talking about all about Medicare, kind of the rules around Medicare, when you can treat, when not to treat, how to sort of navigate the Medicare world as it relates to physical therapy. So I've gotten a lot of questions from people on Twitter and Facebook, and we'll definitely be getting to all of those. So all I could say is get your uh, pen and paper ready, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, great bits of information that you are not going to want to miss. And I'm very happy to say that the person I'm interviewing today is Rick Rick Gawenda, He is a a licensed physical therapist with 23 years of experience and currently serves as the founder and president of Gawenda Seminars and Consulting. He graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree in physical therapy from Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan in 1991. Uh, He is also the director of finance for for Kinetics, and I hope I'm saying that right, Advanced Physical Therapy, a private practice with offices located in Southern California. In addition, he previously worked as the Director of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation at Detroit Receiving Hospital, where he was was responsible for PT, OT, speech, language pathology services, both inpatient and outpatient. He has provided valuable education and consulting to hospitals, private practices, skilled nursing facilities, rehab agencies in the areas of CPT coding, ICD-9 and ICD-10 coding, billing, documentation compliance, revenue enhancement, practice management, and denial management as they relate to outpatient therapy services. He has presented nationally since 2004 and currently presents approximately 100 dates per year around the United States, and we'll tell you all about how to uh, get to one of his uh, seminars towards the end of the interview. He is a member of the APTA, the Michigan Physical Therapy Association as well. He is the past president of the Section on Health Policy and Administration of the APTA, as well as past president of the Michigan Association of Medical Rehabilitation Program Administers. He is also the author of the How-To Manual for Rehab Documentation, a complete guide to increasing reimbursement and reducing denials, and coding separate Uh, and coding and billing for outpatient rehab made easy, proper use of CPT codes, ICD-9 codes, and modifiers, and we'll tell you all about how to get those and things like that later on in the interview, because we have a lot to get to. So, Rick, thank you for taking the time out today and coming on the show. Thanks, Karen, for having me. I always hate when that that bio gets... So it takes up most of the 45 minutes sometimes. Oh, please, it took 30 (laughs) seconds. Actually, it took a total of a minute and a half. As I'm looking at it on the uh, on my counter here, but okay. I think, but it's important for people to know the your background and the qualifications you have, because you're going to be telling, them, hopefully, mm-hmm. explaining to patients kind of how to deal with Medicare. So it's a really big deal. Um, so my question for you, first off, is how did you get interested in this part of the physical therapy world? Yeah, great question. Uh, probably back in 1997, 98 in there somewhere, I was a, a, a treating clinician for a hospital that had a few outpatient departments away from the hospital setting, and I was kind of in charge of, of the off-site facility and high school contracts. Well, back then, our hospital ended up on a 100% Medicare audit for outpatient therapy services, and you know my director and, and 
Nobody really knew how to handle that, what to do, what the process was, etc. So it was basically me just kind of, I think, stepping forward, as well as, I think, being asked by my director to kind of start to investigate what does this 100% review mean, uh, where are we not being compliant in, what do we have to do to get off that review. So that, that really started the process for me back about 1997-98, and then over the next you know, five years or so, just learning about PTOT speech, coding, billing, documentation, compliance, things like that, and spending a lot of time on listservs and, and that, and just kind of getting as much knowledge as I can and going to seminars myself. Obviously, back in the late 90s, probably one of the biggest, quote, gurus at that time was Helene Ferran, who is well-known and well-respected in the PT community. And she's still somebody I still look up to that really kind of who I, I guess, kind of idolized who I wanted to be like mm-hmm. in my career as I started out on this. And then, you know, after spending much time on listservs and that and answering people's questions, you, you kind of get to that point where people think you know what you're talking about mm-hmm. and they start to ask you, you know, more questions and wanting for you to come out and speak to them. And then I was blessed enough to have book offers come my way and it's just kind of snowballed. Uh, to the point where in 2009, Christmas 2009, I, le- I actually left my hospital administration job and have now focused solely on going to seminars and consulting. Great. And, and you know, from 1997 until now, I would think the amount of Medicare changes has been huge, huge mm-hmm. amount of changes as far as as Medicare payments and things like that. So, you know, have you found it difficult sort of keeping up with all of those changes? Yeah, I mean, for us, quote, seasoned therapists, mm-hmm. what I mean but what I mean by that, probably those of us that have been practicing, say, before 2000, uh-huh. uh, we remember the good old days where you could see people for however long you wanted to see them for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the money just kept coming in, whether Medicare or private insurances. Uh, I think we started to see changes with the Balanced Budget Act back in 1997, and then I think really changes from maybe 2003, 4 on. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a lot to keep up with, and that's why you know, myself personally and our company, we focus strictly on outpatient therapy only. And that can be outpatient therapy, whether it's a private practice setting, a skilled nursing facility, do a Medi- Medicare Part B, hospital outpatient departments, uh, rehab agencies, etc., you know, I've, I've had people ask me to to provide services on, say, home health services under Part A or SNF mm-hmm. Part A, rug levels MDS, but simply because of the amount of rules and regulations and different payment structures and changes, my personal opinion, I, th- I think it's hard for one individual to be, quote, an expert in all those different settings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I think it's important to really know what you know because you're going around the country and and sort of uh, giving seminars and all of this and and uh, I think it's a great resource and like I said we'll talk about your seminars and things like that uh, before we finish up so that people mm-hmm. know where to find you and, and how to take a course. Okay, so let's get right into it. So we're talking, I've, I've had a lot of people ask questions on Twitter and Facebook, social media, so the one question that seems to be floating around and was asked in a lot of different ways is this. Um, can a physical therapist, quote-unquote, opt out of Medicare? That's a great question. Now, when we use the word 
opt out. Opt out means not even enroll in Medicare and be able to have a Medicare beneficiary come right to your practice uh, and, and you can take cash from them. At this time, as we're doing the interview here on July 8, 2014, uh, the answer is no. Uh, PTs in private practice, as well as in case there's any OTs or SLPs listening, uh, they are unable to, quote, opt out of the Medicare program. Right. So I think that's important. So you can't, so physicians can opt out. Correct. And right. if they do opt out, they must remain out of the program for a minimum two-year period. Okay. And why are physical therapists, occupational speech, why are, are rehab professionals not allowed to opt out? You know, that's a great question. Obviously, when, you know, Congress and or CMS came out with the rules and regulations of who can opt out, for whatever reason, PTs, OTs, SLPs were not part of that category that could opt out. Mm -hmm. Now, I know this year there was legislation uh, that's going on in Congress that, to be honest with you, probably has a 0% chance of getting passed. I, I, think, I believe uh, it was a, a 1%, no, a 3% chance of getting out of committee and 1% chance of getting passed. Right. I believe so, that was the, yeah. I guess I went to zero. Okay, we'll give it 1%. What? So uh, that means there's a chance. <laughs> there is a chance. There is a chance. God can do miracles. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, so there was legislation pending uh, that would allow PTs to be able to, you know, be able to opt out of the Medicare program. But mm -hmm. as we kind of just said jokingly, most likely not even going to make it out of committee, yet right. alone out of Congress. Right, right. And so, okay, so a lot of these questions, so can you opt out legally? The answer would be no. Correct. And I think I'll just throw this out here, and you might have a question coming up on this. You know, we legally cannot opt out of Medicare. Mm -hmm. However, when you enroll in Medicare as a private practitioner, mm -hmm. you have an option of becoming a participating provider or a non-participating provider. Yes. And I think that's sometimes where people get confused because... You, they just heard me say, you can't opt out, but yet we're going to probably get to this, well, what's this non-participating provider mean? Yes. Isn't that, isn't that the same as opt out? And they're not the same. They're not the same. So, you know, can you uh, tell us the difference between a participating and a non-participating? And why would one want to be one or the other? What are advantages and disadvantages? Yep. Yeah. So basically, as a private practitioner, whether the PTOT and or speech, you you do have to go in Medicare, which means you first have to go get an NPI number, mm -hmm. and you have to fill out the applicable you know, CMS paperwork, whether it's the 855B as in boy, as well as maybe the 855I if you have a group, and all that. But when you are enrolling in Medicare, you have a choice of, of choosing to be either a participating provider or a non-participating provider mm -hmm. in the Medicare program. The vast majority of private practices choose to be a participating provider. And by choosing to be a participating provider, that therapist, that group, uh, agrees to accept assignment for all services furnished to the Medicare patients. Okay, what does that mean? By, yep. By accepting assignment, that therapist is agreeing to accept the amount approved by Medicare as total payment for covered services they provided to that Medicare beneficiary. Now, the Medicare program 
will repay 80% of the approved amount to the, to the therapist. Mm-hmm. And the patient, if they have a secondary insurance, will pick up the other 20% of the covered amount. If the Medicare beneficiary does not have a secondary insurance, they just have, say, Medicare only, mm-hmm. then the patient is responsible for the other 20%. Got it. And when it's a predetermined number, is this, does this differ from clinic to clinic and state to state? Or is it, I, let's say I own an outpatient practice, I decide to be a participating practitioner in Medicare. Does it matter if I practice in New York or California or Idaho? Does that assignment or that fixed number change? Or is it a constant because it's a federal program? Yeah, great question. It actually does change because oh. Medicare has what they call 89 different payment localities. Okay. And, and your payment is adjusted based on what they call the geographic cost index, GPCI. Okay. And there's a geographic price cost index that's assigned. Let me first start over again. When we create the price, the approved amount for a CPT code, there are what we call three relative value units, RVUs. There is a work relative value unit, a practice expense relative value unit, and a malpractice expense relative value unit. Okay. So each CPT code has a value for that. Okay. Well, that value is then multiplied by the geographic price cost index for that payment locality. Okay. So, for example, here in where I'm at today in Southern California, if you look at the work geographic price cost index, that's going to be a higher value. That's going to probably be, say, one point. Zero one zero. I'm not saying that's the number. Right, right, that right. as an example. Right. Whereby in North Dakota, for that same CPT code, that work relative value unit may be point nine nine seven. So because the cost of doing the work, the cost of employing staff and all that is, is higher out here, say for practice expense, malpractice, etc. Got it, got it. Okay. So what you what we get paid, say, for unit of exercise here in Southern California is gonna be higher than a physical therapist in North Dakota gets paid for the same unit of exercise. Got it. Okay. Okay. All right. So it's all kind of centers around your cost of living, your cost to have the outpatient clinic, um, and, and all of that is somewhat factored in. Correct. Like okay. the, the work, the work, the work relative value unit takes into account uh, the intensity of services provided, the skill required, mm-hmm. things like that. Okay. The practice expense is really the the cost to run the practice. Got it. Your supplies, your office staff, things like that, and then of course the malpractice is your professional liability. Got which, it. Which which does vary. Yeah. Amongst eighty nine localities, because uh, some regions may you know, have more lawsuits than others, things like that. Got it. Okay. So that assignment is, so if you're a participating provider, you're accepting that assignment. It's a fixed number and it is what it is. And now does each, and that goes by the 89 different payment areas. Is that correct? Does that make sense? 
I'm sorry, you kind of broke okay. up. Okay. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. So if you're a participating provider with Medicare, mm -hmm. you are agreeing that you will accept assignment for payment, and that payment is dependent upon one of the 89 different payment areas you live in. Correct. So okay. like in, in California, uh, we're in Los Angeles County. So when I'm looking to see what my Medicare allowed amount is for each CPT code, I want to make sure that I'm looking at Los Angeles. Got it. Because San Francisco, which is about six and a half hours north of us, mm -hmm. driving, they're going to have a different rate for the same CPT codes. Okay. Okay. And, and also that allowed amount, unfortunately, also gets reduced due to some other things that have come into play over the last couple of years, like the multiple procedure payment reduction policy that began in 2011. And then the government also instituted that sequestration reduction April 1st, 2013, that also further reduces that Medicare allowed amount. So when if you went onto the CMS website mm -hmm. and you saw that the Medicare allowed amount for a unit of exercise was maybe $31, mm -hmm. You actually didn't get paid less than that because of these reductions that also come into play into play after the fact. Oh, that's tricky. And that's why, <sighs> and I can always send you this link later. If yeah. you're an AP, if you're an APTA member, uh -huh. over the last four years, APTA has created an amazing fee schedule calculator calculator that does include the speech therapy codes mm -hmm. that and it has 89 payment localities in it, so you can select your locality. You can then type in which CPT codes you yep. did that day, how many units of each, and it will calculate to the penny yes. what the Medicare allowed amount is after calculating the MP payout reduction and the sequestration reduction. Yeah. So I know a lot of people are using this calculator to track the therapy cap in their private practice and their organization. Yeah, so I've used that actually. I don't use it, I don't yeah. use it for my own business, but I have used it for school. Um, as part of an assignment for, I'm getting my DPT, so I had to actually use that as part of an assignment for school. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's really great. So if you're an APTA member, definitely go onto the site and just, yep. I guess you could just search for like CMS fee schedule or Medicare fee schedule or something. Yeah, just go to APTA.org in the search box. Just type in Medicare yeah. fee schedule. Yeah, it's and you'll, great. you'll find it. Yeah. It's a great tool. Great it's tool. great. I agree. Great tool. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay, so that's a participating. What is a non-participating Medicare okay. provider, and why would you want to do that? Well, when you become a non-participating provider, on each claim that you then submit to Medicare for payment, you can either decide to select assignment on that claim or not select assignment on that claim. Now, if you enroll as a non-participating provider and you decide to select assignment on that claim, Medicare is only going to, the allowed amount instead of being 100% is only going to be 95% of the Medicare allowed amount. So for example, let's just say that, I'm going to try to keep math simple. Let's yeah. just say that this therapy you did today, the Medicare allowed amount for this visit was $100. Mm -hmm. Well, if you were a participating provider, Medicare would pay you 80% of that. So they'd pay mm -hmm. you $80. And then the patient's secondary insurance, if they have it, if not, the patient will pay the other $20. Mm -hmm. Now, same patient, but now you've decided to be a non-participating provider and you decide to select assignment on this case. Mm -hmm. Well, 
instead of being now the approved amount being a hundred dollars, it's only going to be ninety-five dollars. Oh, so you only get ninety-five percent of the allowed amount. Okay. So now Medicare is only going to pay eighty percent of ninety-five, which would be seventy-six dollars. The Medicare patient, if they have a secondary insurance, would pick up the other nineteen dollars. If not, the patient pays nineteen. Got so it. you kind of quote losing five dollars by this way, right? Which probably makes you wonder, well, why would somebody want to be non-participating? Exactly. Well, here's why: if you become a non-participating provider and you decide not to select assignment, mm-hmm. you then may charge the Medicare beneficiary up to one hundred and fifteen percent of the limiting charge based okay. on the Medicare allowed amount. Okay. So let's take that same patient we just talked about. So we said if you were a participating provider, the Medicare allowed amount would be $100. Mm-hmm. Well, because you're non-participating, you're only going to get 95% of the 100 which means now the Medicare allowed amount is only $95. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so Medicare will still pay 80% of the 95 Mm-hmm. The patient's secondary insurance that they have it should take up the other nineteen. Okay. But now what you do is you take that ninety-five dollars mm-hmm. and you and you multiply it by one hundred fifteen percent, which then means the limiting charge will equal one hundred nine dollars and twenty-five cents. Right. Okay. Okay. So that's so that's an extra fourteen dollars and twenty-five cents. Got it. That you can actually collect from the patient. Got it. So, wait, say that again. So <laughs> It's complicated. I'm like, got it. Nope, I don't have it. I'll admit it, I don't have it. So, okay, so you're not participating. This is a great interview, right? It's oh, just isn't me, it? It's great. It's yeah. me being like, what? Um, that's, that's okay. It's, it's a tough one to explain. Okay, so I got the non-participating. So instead of 100 it's $95. 76 from the pa- from Medicare, 19 from the patient. Right. But... If you are non-participating, that $95 then becomes $109.25. Because, if, because since, you are since you're a non-participating provider, uh-huh. you can charge the Medicare patient up to 115% of the limiting charge Got it. on the Medicare allowed amount. Got it. So if you had a calculator in front of you, if I you do. took $95 yeah. and multiplied it by point. One one five was it? Uh, one point one five. No, point one one five. Oh, sorry. That should come up to one oh nine. Well, actually, it doesn't it? Should, I'm sorry. One, by, one, take ninety five yeah. times one point one five. Yeah, yeah. Will give you one hundred nine dollars and twenty five cents. Correct. Which now becomes what you can completely get paid for that visit. Okay. So Medicare paid you the seventy six dollars. Uh huh. The patient's secondary insurance, if they had it, would pay the 19 and then that provider could collect $14.25 from the from, Medicare patient. I see. Okay. So, so they're actually getting it. paid now. Nine, they're actually now, if this truly got all covered and all paid by everybody, right. they're now getting $109.25 for that visit. Right. If you were a participating provider, you only got 100 Got it. Okay. Actually getting paid $9.25 more. Okay. All right, but so yes. It's coming from the patient. Got it. Got it. So you're putting a little bit more money onto the patient if you're a non participating provider. 
But in the end, you may be making more money. And even, I know we're using a hypothetical of $100, but basically those little bits can add up to a lot if you're seeing a lot of Medicare visits. Correct. Um, now, what is the, the so, so the downside here is that you're charging the patient. Is that correct? That would be the major downside? That would be the major downside, in my opinion, yeah. because that patient, if they, let's say you're the non-participating provider, uh -huh. And you're charging them fourteen dollars and twenty-five cents. Hypothetically, let's say the charge was a hundred dollars. You know, hypothetical. It's mm -hmm. it's that mm -hmm. way. Right. And they're paying fourteen dollars and twenty-five cents out of their pocket mm -hmm. times twelve visits. They're paying one hundred seventy-one dollars. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. That if they that if they came to me as a participating provider, they're they not paying. They're not paying anything. Assuming the, assuming they have a secondary. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that was a huge huge help and a great explanation because I feel like not many people know the difference between participating and non-participating in this whole opting out nonsense. So that was a great explanation. At least I, I think it was. That was really helped clarify things. So, And if I just had, do you mind if I had one other yeah, thing? Yeah, 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 please. Yeah, because I know, I know people will want to know where, because since you're getting paid, you know, 5% less by Medicare, right? people probably want to know, well, how much do I have to collect from the patient if I don't take assignment? Where's my break-even point? Mm -hmm. And if you go to some various websites, uh, basically the websites say that non-participating providers who don't take assignment mm -hmm. have to collect the full amount on 91.5% of the non-assigned claims to break even with a participating provider. So basically you gotta be able to collect that in this example that 1425, mm -hmm. essentially nine point one five times out of ten. Okay. Just just to break even with a participating provider. I see. So if you have a couple patients that don't pay you, you might end up actually getting paid less, less. as a non participating provider than if you were a participating provider. Got it. Got it. And is the amount of paperwork the same, whether you're participating or non-participating? Yeah, yeah. The okay. Because you still have to submit claims to Medicare mm -hmm. and all that. And that's, you know, so I think that's been the biggest confusion. People, you know, hear about this non-participating and opt-out, and they mm -hmm. think it's the same thing, and, and it's not. It's not this so. opt-out opt means you're not even enrolled in the Medicare program. You don't have to comply with any Medicare paperwork. Mm -hmm. you, don't even, you don't even bill Medicare. We can't do that as Correct. a private practitioner. Right, right, right. Got it, got it. Okay, so that that's great. Yes, so now, how about, um, and, and I have obviously looked into this a lot myself, but um, how does it work uh, in a cash-based practice, Medicare? I'll tell you well, what I well, I'll tell you what I do. I don't see Medicare patients. Yeah, that's a great question because if you're saying a cash-based practice for physical therapy services Correct. on a Medicare patient, Correct. you can't you can't do you that can't do it. because right. you cannot opt out of Medicare. Right. You must enroll in Medicare and be either a participating provider or a non-participating provider, which still means you must submit claims to the Medicare program. Right. Whereby, if you're saying a cash-based service for, say, wellness, general fitness, uh, you know, Pilates, mm -hmm. yoga, mm -hmm. back classes, absolutely yes. Yes, and, and you and, can and you can charge whatever you want. 
Is that correct? Correct. Okay. Mm -hmm. No different than you know you or I going to LA Fitness or exactly. you know wherever we may go work out. It's the same thing, but they're come and I think I think you're starting to see more private practices do that now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I I know you've really seen a lot in hospitals that have the banks and the gyms and all that mm, that they they have really picked up over the last couple of years about having athletic trainers and PTs and that and mm -hmm. and providing this service once once physical therapy is done. Right. Right. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, cause I have people that are Medicare that I see strictly for personal training. And mm -hmm. I always say it, it would be the same, like, cause I've had people come to me and say, I, I really want to get in better shape. Um, and I would prefer to work with a physical therapist versus a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. You can yep. do that. You know, you can, you can do that. And there's, you know, there's no a there's no advanced beneficiary notice required right. anything like that mm -hmm. because wellness fitness is not a covered service under the Medicare Part B program. Correct. And what about if let's say you have a cash based business and someone is referred to you and they have Medicare and you say I'm sorry I don't take Medicare and they say I don't care I don't want to turn it in I'm just I just want to pay you I want to see you the doctor said I need to see you. What do you do? I mean, I got to give you the legal answer. You, you, you can't see them if you're going to call it physical therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, if you do a quote a screen mm -hmm. and you determine they don't need physical therapy, that maybe it's just more like wellness prevention, strengthening that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then I think you're fine, in my opinion. Now, obviously, as I say this, if you ever have questions, obviously, as you set up this stuff, you may want to consult with a healthcare attorney and yeah. all that. Because yeah. again, I am not an attorney, right? Uh, but as long as you're allowed in the state you practice in, now I know PTs you know, have direct access in all 50 states to do eval and some sort of treatment, mm -hmm. but you can at least maybe perhaps evaluate or screen them to see, do they need physical therapy? If so, if I'm not a Medicare provider, I must refer them to somebody that is. Mm -hmm. And no matter how much they may beg me and all that, I can't do that because it would be, quote, illegal. Right, right. Yeah, and I think the, that you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, if you do have questions about this, depending on what state you live in, and if just to definitely contact a healthcare attorney that you know in mm -hmm. in your state or in your town or what have you. Um, okay, now um, another question. So this was a, a question I think from Facebook is, and I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but we're going to throw it out there. Why do DME companies or durable medical equipment companies who won the Medicare bidding continue to provide horrible service and get away with it? Um, <laughs> quite the question. Some of the companies in northeastern Pennsylvania, that is where I grew up, um, tell us they don't have standard items in stock like walkers and wheelchairs. So, And I think this was another thing that I saw on, on social media is, why can't physical therapists be durable medical equipment? Why can't we do dur get a bid for durable medical equipment? Why does it have? Do you know what I mean? Why can't we sell it? Yeah, I mean to to answer, I guess the first question, yeah. as I'm sure it'd be no big surprise. Yeah, you know, I can't answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That of course, like uh, that one, I can't answer. In terms of you know, could PTs, I guess, do bidding mm -hmm. and try to do, become uh, an approved DME provider, I guess they could. Yeah. 
Uh, I just, you know, again, that's not my area of expertise. I will say that. I mean, I do talk about the L codes and orthotics and all that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of DME, in terms of walkers and canes and oxygen tanks and glucose monitors and all that, uh, that's not my area of expertise. But I also don't know why PTs or, for that matter, OTs or SLPs would even want to get, get into that business as part of their business. Yeah. Um, I think... They might want to be able to provide like maybe canes and walkers and crutches. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. to be able to do that, have it covered by the Medicare program, you have to be able to do everything else that goes with it. Got it. And that sounds like a lot of paperwork and a lot of headaches. Oh, it, I'm sure it is. <laughs> you I mean, know, I, no I, doubt. I, I've, I've had you know uh, friends that have owned DME companies and there's just so much paperwork and mm-hmm. And all that, and they've actually ended up getting out of it because over the last several years, the money's just gone down. Mm-hmm. That it just became, it got very tough to be profitable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay, um, next question. So this is you're going to sort of have to put your PT hat on and your your consulting hat on. This is sort of a two parter. Okay. So okay. With decreasing reimbursements, G code reporting, and and I'll have we'll get to that in a second. Creative ways of denying payment. Who will want to take on Medicare patients? Is this trend going to offer Medicare patients decreased quality of care? So mm-hmm. think about that kind of from your consulting and, and from the PT point of view and, and the director of PT services as well. Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it's funny how everybody keeps you know, talking about Medicare this and, and Medicare that. My opinion is I see what we have here in California and I get to go on the country and do consulting. You know, Medicare is still a, a pretty decent payer if you want to compare what Medicare pays to other insurances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this, we've got United Healthcare here in California paying $72 per visit. Uh, I'm sure you may have heard how Cigna is going with trying to get the, you know, the middle person out here on the West Coast and California, oh, yeah, Oregon, we, and Arizona, and they want to pay, I think, about $61, $63 a, a visit. So I, I don't think it's just Medicare. Actually, I, I'm, my concern is probably more the private insurances, whether mm-hmm. it be the Blue Crosses, the Aetnas, the Cygnas, United Healthcare's. Uh, and, and, I, and I wore a couple of hats. I mean, first of all, uh, from the PT side, being a PT, number one, you have to do what you need to do for the patient. But with that being said, I also think we have to decide who is the best person to provide those services to that patient on that date of service. And and I mean, is it me as a therapist? Is it a physical therapist assistant? Mm -hmm. Or if allowed in your state and with that insurance, could it be a support personnel, whether it be a rehab aide, rehab tech, athletic trainer? Mm -hmm. You know, who's the best person to use on that date of service? Mm -hmm. Because if you've got an AC, a grade one ankle sprain and it's your fifth or sixth visit, I'm not, and again, I'm throwing this out because obviously the answer could be different depending on the patient, but do they need me as a physical therapist with them for 45, 50, 60 minutes? Or do I spend the 20, 30 minutes with them that I need to spend with them, maybe doing manual techniques, adding some new exercises to them, and then they can do stuff independently that I'm not going to go for? Mm-hmm. Or... Do I spend some time with them and then maybe have them work with an assistant or an athletic trainer? Or do they see an assistant that day? I, so I think we got to get better at who's the best one to treat that patient mm-hmm. on that day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I know sometimes PTs, we, you know, we think it's always got to be us. Only we can do this. 
And if that's the case, my opinion, we would never have had physical therapist assistance. Right. We would never have been able to use ATCs, rehab techs, exercise physiologists, etc. So I think that's number one. Number two, from the payment side of it, it kind of ties in with number one. With a lot of these insurances paying a per diem rate, a per day rate of $60, $70 a visit, mm-hmm. from the business side of it, now in the consultant side of it, do I really want to spend an hour with, with Karen one-on-one? Because if I do, at $70, I'm probably going to lose money. Mm-hmm. Again, so why not do what I need to do with you and then let you use the equipment, let you do what you already know how to do by yourself, maybe with the tech. Mm-hmm. And then if, if you've got a question and you need me or the tech thinks something's not right, they can call me over and bring me back to you. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we have to... You know, I still hear people say, well, we only do one-on-one. Well, if you're only doing one-on-one for every hour, if you have one or two cancers or no-shows, most likely you've lost money that day as a therapist, Mm -hmm. depending on what your insurance mix is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I I do see, obviously, Medicare, in my opinion, is leading the way, so to speak, in terms of creating more work for us in terms of PQRS and the Medicaid codes why they reduce our payment via the multiple procedure payment reduction policy and then of course the sequestration reduction that got added in. But I still think we're getting paid better than some of these other insurance companies that I think mm-hmm. you're also going to see implement extra paperwork on us as well. Yeah, yeah. Well I know, you know, in New York, Blue Cross Blue Shield pays sixty dollars a visit and you have to go through um Orthonet, so a third party in order to but- get um approval for said X amount of visits. So and knowing New York and the cost of doing business, your cost to provide a visit is probably above sixty dollars. Yeah. Well New York has a I think one of the lowest reimbursement rates in the country. And pie, right and, pie and the highest standard of living. Highest. Trust me, I know. Right. I live here. Right, it's, especially if you're in the Manhattan, Queens, yeah, yeah, yeah. there. Right. So it's, it's then it becomes from the business side Okay, if I've got Blue Cross paying six hours a visit, mm-hmm. I just may want to see you for 30 minutes. Do what I need to do, get the next Blue Cross patient, do $16. Yeah. And so for an hour, I'm getting 120 Right. So when people always say, should I sign this contract or not, there may be times when a contract might be $60. Mm-hmm. And that may actually be below, but it may cost you $65 to do the visit. Right. But but if you can if you can sign this contract, and bring in an extra 40 visits a month, mm-hmm. and, and it does not cause you to add staff, you didn't increase your expenses at all. Mm-hmm. But you just bought $60 times four. You just bought $2,400 more into your practice without increasing expenses. Right. Which means that contract may have been good for you to sign. Right. Where if you said, well, Rick, I'm going to have to hire a therapist to do this, then maybe not good to sign. Right. Yeah. So I think when people just hear about a dollar amount, there's no yes or no answer based on a dollar amount. What do you have to do to take care of these new patients you're going to have? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's multifactorial. It's not just here's the dollar amount. This is how much you make per hour. It's what is what is your what is your gross versus your net? Yep, is essentially what you're what you're really looking at. Okay. Um, actually, a, another quick follow-up on that question is, um, and this is just because I don't really know the answer to this, is what's a G-code and why do you have to use them? What's a G-code? Well, 
it's funny because when you say what's a G code, people also think it's PQRS as well. And PQRS stands for Physician Quality Reporting System. Mm-hmm. But typically, you know, G codes started last year. Okay. And when we say G codes, uh, we're going to talk about that from what we call a functional limitation reporting. And this was something that CMS uh, was mandated to implement last year because of a law passed by Congress in 2012. So in 2013, CMS had to develop some kind of system where they started collecting data on outpatient therapy services mm-hmm. to kind of use, begin to use this that data that they're going to collect and data you know that they're collect in the future to ultimately change or reform how they pass for outpatient therapy services. Okay. So functional limitation reporting began January 1, 12, 2013 on okay. all Medicare traditional Part B patients whether Medicare was primary or secondary. Okay. It does not apply to Medicare Advantage plans. The law does not apply to Medicare Advantage plans. However, if a Medicare Advantage plan or other insurance company wants to implement functional limitation reporting, obviously they have that right to do so. Mm-hmm. So it began January 1, 2013 on a kind of a voluntary basis for the first six months, and it became mandated to start reporting these, quote, G-codes July 1, 2013. Okay. And each discipline that has seen a Medicare beneficiary must report on one categorical functional limitation on that Medicare patient. Okay. With And there's essentially four functional categories that CMS expects to be used primarily by PT and OT, seven categorical functional limitations that they expect speech to use primarily. Okay. But any discipline can use any categorical functional limitation. Now, I'm just going to choose mobility. So there's a category called mobility. Under mobility are three G codes. Okay. I don't don't have them memorized off the top of my head. So there's a G code. So the first G code listed under mobility, if you put that G, it has the letter G and it has four numbers after that. Okay. And that G code if you put the first one on, tells CMS that you are reporting on the current status of that patient on mobility. So current status being that day. Okay. The second G code under each category, if you put that on the, on the claim form, tells CMS this is the projected goal that I'm okay. projected to get to by the time I'm done reporting on mobility. Okay. And then the third G code under each category discharge status of that patient. Oh, discharge status. Okay. And then with each G code that goes on the claim form, uh-huh. you also have to have a severity or complexity modifier assigned to that G code. And that severity complexity modifier would tell CMS the percent of limitation or restriction they have okay. in that category. Boy, boy, oh boy. Yeah, G codes would be a whole different. That's a whole way, new ball game, talk. huh? That'd yeah, yeah, yeah. Part two, part three, part yeah, four. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow. Okay, that is a lot of info. Um, now, last question. Sure. Um, so this, I, I'm not sure um, if you know the answer to this one, but um, we'll make one. We'll make it up. So That's right. this this came from actually a girl that I am in class with in my DPT program, April. 
And okay. she said she practices in Pennsylvania and was wondering if if there was any info in regards to home health PT and Medicare rules in the treatment of chronic conditions. She said she read a few articles about the ability to continue with services with more preventative maintenance goals for diseases like MS. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of that prevention maintenance stuff. Yeah, uh, you know, a few year, a few years ago there was a lawsuit brought. It was Jim over Sibelius. Uh-huh. And the lawsuit was settled last year, 2013. And in December 2013, CMS put out Transmittal 176. Well, that then got redone because of some typos or whatever. So the, the, the most recent Transmittal that came out was January of this year. Okay. And it's Transmittal 179. And it's about a 118-page document. And in this gym, what happened is... Medicare contractor Medicare contractors were denying therapy services solely based on the premise that the Medicare beneficiary was not improving. Right. Well, if you if you're familiar with the Medicare manuals, and the one I would cite would be CMS Publication 100-0 Chapter 15. Uh, I think it's Section 220. Uh, point two, maybe. Okay, they that, talk, that, this they, is they that's about, pretty amazing that you know that off the top of your head. By the way. Okay, thank you. I think either that one is too yeah. geeky. One, it's either amazing or I'm a geek. <laughs> one, one of the two. My amazing. wife says I'm. A, my wife says I'm a geek, so I'll take amazing <laughs> from you. Uh, they they talk about maintenance coverage, and CMS has always paid for maintenance coverage. Okay. And the difference between rehabilitative therapy and maintenance therapy is. Rehabilitative therapy, we are expecting the patient to improve. Mm-hmm. We are expecting them to get better. Nothing says they have to get back to where they were before their injury, illness, exacerbation, but we are expecting improvement. Mm-hmm. Where the goal of maintenance therapy is either to maintain their current level of function or prevent further deterioration in their level of function. Mm-hmm. So this lawsuit that was brought, they settled out of court. Okay. And in this transmittal 179, which I would tell April to read, and we can always get the link out for yeah. people, is you know Medicare does acknowledge they do pay for maintenance therapy, mm-hmm. whether it be on an outpatient basis, a skilled nursing facility, either Part A, Part B, or mm-hmm. home health. Mm-hmm. However, the maintenance therapy uh, must still require the unique skills of a therapist. Okay. Meaning, once you determine the patient could do it by him or herself, or a, you could teach a caregiver how to do it, mm-hmm. that means it no longer requires your skill. Got also, it. CMS came out in this transmitter and said, just because a patient does not have somebody to carry out the maintenance program with them, does not mean you get to keep seeing them for that reason. Got it. So once you as a therapist say, this no longer requires my skills, mm-hmm. the patient could do this by him or herself, or if they had somebody with them, this mm-hmm. person could do it. I could teach them how to do it. It no longer requires me. Then, then maintenance therapy would no longer be considered skilled, hence no longer covered. Got it. Now, in the outpatient therapy setting and the home house setting, the maintenance therapy must be done by a therapist. In a skilled nursing facility under Part A, under rug levels MDS, an assistant could do maintenance therapy as well. Got it. But outpatient therapy, whether it's a hospital outpatient department, private practice, skilled nursing facility, rehab mm-hmm. agency, must be done by a therapist 
And then for April in a home house setting under Part A benefits must also be done by a, by therapist. a therapist. Got it. Okay. Well, this was a lot of information. Like I said to everyone listening, get your pen and paper ready because there was going to be a lot of info thrown at you over the last 45 minutes. Um, with that being said, we have run out of time, but I have a feeling we'll have to do another interview here. I, we could probably do one a month for the next year and not answer everybody's questions, I'm sure. That being said, a great way to get more information, all the stuff, is to go to one of your seminars. So how can people find out about those seminars? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, my, my website is www.gwendaseminars.com, and Gwenda is G-A-W-E-N-D-A, seminars.com. And uh, you can click on webinars, because we actually have some upcoming webinars on speech, PTOT coding billing, as well as the G-Code you just mentioned. I'm actually doing a, another webinar on Medicare G-Codes on August 7th. And ICD-10 is coming up August 20th. And then at the bottom of my website, you can go down, and I think it says Seminar Schedule, and you mm -hmm. can see where I'll be starting back up in August. Uh, but I agree. I, I think, I mean, it's hard to believe 45, 50 minutes goes by so fast. I know. Uh, I, know. I mean, it does for me because I love this stuff. But I, I agree. I mean, we could probably do one a month. I mean, there's just so many things that we could talk about, and I'd love, you know, you know, All right. If, well, if you, you listen, said you want it. Me back, you if said it. want me back, and you want me back. I'm sure we can do something on PQS or G codes sure. or something down the road. Yep. You just said it. I'm holding. I you just to that. said it. It's, 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 it's on audio, so it's all your followers know I said that. It's recorded. So anyway, it's recorded. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on, and everybody, thanks for listening. And hopefully, we'll have Rick back on in the near future. So keep those questions coming, and definitely check out his website, GawandaSeminars.com. Thank you so much for coming on. And thanks, sure, and everyone, thanks for listening, and uh, have a great week, and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart.